Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Teacher Talk Tuesday. I am Dr. Johnny Cruz Craig, your host for today's podcast. And I am also honored and blessed to serve as the National Project Director for the DTEC TAG program. This podcast serves to encourage teachers to express their educational experiences, research, and advocacy work as we use this platform to inform, inspire, and develop communities of support, we start to look forward to the conversations that allow this exchange of ideas to happen. We're excited to announce that we're now on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. On this episode, we are sitting down with Vanessa Hopkins educator and administrator. And soon you're gonna hear creator and a lot of other things as well. Vanessa began her career in social work with the Missouri Department of Social Services before pivoting, there's that 2020 word, and becoming an educator. She held numerous teaching awards before becoming a vice principal and district literacy coach. Vanessa lived in Syracuse, New York for three years, lending her talents to the effort of turning around a struggling school. The school received 11 awards during her tenure for decreased attrition of teachers, family and community involvement, meeting New York State DIIR targets year one, most improved teacher attendance, rigorous restorative practices, and decreased recidivism including serious incidents like out-of-school suspensions and in-school suspensions. She is currently planning to build Muse STEAM Service Academy, a fourth through eighth grade middle school, launching in the fall of 2022. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Dr. Craig. I am so appreciative of the time that you all have given me today. Absolutely. I'm excited to learn more about the Academy. And I think it's worth lifting up that you're planning now for a launch in fall of 2022. That's a lesson in itself. And we can talk about <laughs> that more as we get into this conversation. That is a best practice, right? Uh, so right. now... <laughs> I want to talk about, you have some experience with turning around schools. That's big, especially in the day and time we're in, in a positive direction, not turned around in a negative direction, but turning around in a positive direction. Right. And now you're planning on building your own middle school. And I am a, I love middle school. I taught middle school for 17 years, seven, six and seventh grade science. <laughs> Not many people welcome challenges that large because we all know being that you're planning now, you're probably going through a very rigorous process. How have you gained the confidence to build curriculum and school processes from scratch? So um, Dr. Craig, I don't really know if it's confidence as much as it is purpose. And I felt like when I switched over from social services, and the reason I switched is because I just saw so many clients that were like the application even to fill out for services is at a sixth grade level. And I had clients that struggled with the application. So in my mind, how am I encouraging them to go and apply for a job knowing they're not even getting past the application phase? So, you know, like everybody else, I was coming to the 
end of my 20s and I was like, well, what can I do this uh, to like, what am I really interested in doing? Is this something I want to do for long term? And that's when I switched over to education. Um, I had already had a BS in public administration. So I went back for a post degree certification and a master's um, and, and moved to, from St. Louis to Atlanta. Um, so that was really why I got into education was because I really felt like on the social services level, I was putting a band-aid on like a gaping bullet wound mm. and it wasn't making any difference. But if I got on the other side and I caught kids early and middle school is special to me because I just remember myself in middle school, like I was a little nutty, like all they, them are, you know, they are the sweetest, craziest people on the planet. Um, you would be bored if you went from a middle school to any place else. But it was a lot. It was a hard time for me. My stepfather passed. It was a lot going on in middle school. So I felt like those kids get a lot of um, a, a bad rap, but they, they need the most. And they're so appreciative when people come and believe in them. Like, you know, those babies are like your babies. They like sit up under you, they hang up under you, they come back to see you, they want to be your friend on social media. So uh, part of the idea of starting a school and especially starting a middle school is because the data says that once we send the kids, transition them to middle school, they slide in proficiency, which means they decrease about 20 to 30% in proficiency and then they never recover. Mm. So then you're looking at black and brown kids who are already coming with the deficit of being two and three grade levels behind and then they never recover. Mm. So when I really was um, you know, going through the, 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 the major hurdles of my career um, from being a teacher. And let me tell you, I thought I was going to be a 35, 45 year teacher. I thought I was going to retire from the classroom because I enjoyed it. Like it was a challenge for me to try to string standards together, to make it engaging, to make it hands-on, something that me and the kids were interested in doing, having like, uh, like high level discussions, uh, presenting the kids with information and letting them be like the purveyors of what happens in the class that all was so exciting to me. Like I was big on major projects. Um, I still get 20 something year old kids that were, you know, in middle school, my kids saying, Ms. Hopkins, did we do the best as far as a mock, you know, we had a mock trial at the end of the year, were, were we the best class? And I'm like, I'm not answering that. But, you know, that the fact that that still resonates with them and it still sticks with them, I thought I'd be in the classroom. But then I had an administrator that said, hey, you need to move on. You need to be in a position where you can duplicate yourself. And so that's when I started to pursue um, higher leadership uh, things. I got into a program called New Leaders for New Schools, uh, which is a national program. And it's basically taking educators, putting them through the Inspiring Principles program, um, giving us all the, you know, pedagogy, all of that we need to be social agents within social change agents within a community. And um, matriculated, that caused me to move to Memphis. 
finished my uh, residency with new leaders. It's a residency and on-the-job training. I always say I felt like I was online getting a dissertation and working full-time at the same time. <laughs> In that experience, it was so rigorous, but it was so wonderful. Like if anybody is in one of the program cities for new leaders, I suggest it. It is wonderful. They even now have an arm where they're um, encouraging emerging teachers to become teacher leaders and then moving up through the pipeline. Uh, it, it, just, it just solidified my, my goal and my thought that I needed to be a part of what happens in the change for positive for black and brown children. So um, I, I probably have gone on, I tend to ramble, but I probably have gone on a little bit. So I'm gonna stop and let you ask questions or if I didn't answer anything to kind of clarify. No, you, you gave a lot of information and pretty much you answered it because I asked you, you know, what gave you the confidence, right, to build this curriculum in the school processes. And you said it wasn't confidence, it was purpose. And as you shared your story and your journey, I can clearly see that you've been called to this. And not only have you been called, you were equipped by all of your experiences. Like you really dropped a big nugget when you said you were serving in the social service space. The application was at a sixth grade level and people came in for services and couldn't complete the application. That was your aha for you. So you had to be in that space to realize that on the other side, people were being put out into this world, not equipped to make it, not even to get services. That is huge. I don't think I've ever heard that perspective. And I think you should amplify that perspective. That's really good as you tell your story. Um, another thing I heard that definitely answers the question is you looked at the data. You saw when you start serving in middle school, how when they got to middle school, right? How they dropped down levels. They became, you know, not as proficient and they didn't recover. And I know as a middle school teacher, I love middle school too. People be like, y'all are special to teach in middle school. Cause I call my students, they like little werewolves. They love you one minute. They don't like you the next, they, hate you the next, but they come right back around and love you again. And it's all about relationships, I believe across the gamut, but middle school, they need a little extra tender loving care because that's a very moldable age. So I'm, I, I love that you're choosing that space. And I love that you were called to serve in that space. So you know the needs. You talked about your own experience as a middle school student, right? So you definitely answered the question. You have been molded, shaped, called, and equipped to build this school for those middle schoolers. So I'm excited about that. And as I heard you answer that question, I was like, you know, I know this is maybe 10, 15 years down the road, and maybe not. But as you build this middle school and you get that data to show how effective this, you know, your curriculum will be in this school will be in this culture will be, I hope that you have the thought, you and the board and everybody that's working with you to then go back and catch them in the elementary and build some type of elementary setting where you build a pipeline of this school, right? So you catch them early, you get them in the middle where you know that work needs to happen. And then the next phase, what's gonna be next? A high school. Because if you can get a subset of students that can come in and go through that pipeline at each level, my goodness, can you imagine what would be produced for our future leaders? 
not only produce for our future leaders, uh, you know, I moved back to St. Louis to start the program with the Opportunity Trust and building the school. And I moved back in July, but you know, it's my hometown. So I know what's going on in St. Louis. I know the trials and the tribulations. I know that we are the murder capital. I know that what, what kids are facing. I grew up in a section called Jeff Vanderloo, uh, which, you know, even though we might have moved streets, we always stayed in that same community. Um, it's, it's, it, it, it looks, it wasn't great before, but it looks more blighted now. And the thing about Jeff Vanderloo, I don't know if anybody watches PBS, but PBS did a special on uh, Pruitt Igo um, projects, which was a project here in St. Louis. The project is right across the street from Jeff Vanderloo. So there has been a 40 year plus hole in the middle of this community for since I've been here on this planet. Well, a little bit after because I was born in Pruitt, I go. But, you know, it, once they blew it up and they left that land, that's what I looked at when I would catch a bus to go downtown. That's what I looked at. That's the bus. You couldn't get downtown to the mall, um, any centers, central, excuse me, city hall without going past this vacant land that was just sitting there empty in the middle of where kids are supposed to be building up some type of um, self-esteem and pride in who they are and where they come from. And it's such a um, dichotomy from what other kids experience that it's sad what the weight we put on kids who already have like a challenging uh, circumstance. And then we say perform like everyone else, which I think mm. they can perform like everyone else once we figure out how we need to address what they need to perform in. So, you know, I, I, I've always like looked up the Deltas. I wanted to be a Delta. I, I would see Deltas. It, it's a parade that happens in May in St. Louis, it's called the May Day Parade or the Annie Malone Parade. And I would see the Deltas going down the street and I would always be like, I wanna be one of you all. So of course, uh, becoming a Delta was wonderful, but somebody that like since in the first grade, I remember reading an article about her and really being like, I really wanna know who this person is. So she's kind of been someone that has inspired me. She was not born in St. Louis, but she chose St. Louis as her home. And she, right now we have a statue dedicated to her. So, you know, I, I'm trying to like reach out to her family, but I am giving like homage to our 14th national president, Frankie Muse Freeman by naming the school Muse STEAM Service Academy. And um, it's humbling when I meet people that knew her, uh, that, loved her uh one of the board members for the opportunity trust when he found out that like the name was in homage to her uh kind of teared up a little bit in a, a meeting that we had uh virtually because he was like you would not imagine how sweet and kind but forceful and active she was as a person so uh yeah i just want everyone to know that you know, I'm still building my board, so I still need like really kind of integral deltas. But this is a heart's work, not just because I love middle school, I feel like this is a need, but this is a heart's work because now I have the mantle of making sure I do not embarrass 
Miss Frankie Muse Freeman. Listen, you that said this becomes a world class middle school. Yes, I love it. And you, it is hard work and it is hard work, heart and heart. So, yeah, I love that. And I want you to tell the listeners a little bit. You said the name and you told, you know, why you chose Muse Steam Service Academy. But what does STEAM mean? What does STEAM mean? Is that like the, you know, standard science, technology, engineering, arts, and math? Like, what does STEAM mean for your school? Well, it, it, it might be for some people, but for me, STEAM is science, technology, engineering, and math. But the A, we are uh, flipping to be advocacy because we feel like it, we must help students develop agency. We must help students develop voice. We must help students be able to identify what they need to uh, be doing in the community to have a positive impact on the community. And even to the point of self-advocacy. So uh, I know one of the things that I'm thinking about as a project for kids during the school year that, you know, we'll probably do in pilots before the school opens in the fall of 2022 is um, how do we build up their capacity to advocate even for themselves? And what does that look like? And how do, how do middle school kids understand that they have a voice, they have some say in what's happening in their community because it's affecting them. Like it literally is affecting them. The, I, I do want my school to be in the Jeff Vanderloo, uh, Vanderloo uh, community. And um, right now the school, the school district has voted to close uh, one of the last standing schools in that area. So in the fall, that school won't exist anymore. So I really want to take over that building and say, no, you don't get to blight the, blight the neighborhood. This school stays open. Um, it's, it, it may not be an elementary school right now. It's going to transition to a middle school. But to also share the building with certain support services that uh, we were able to have when we were in Syracuse, you know, we had a clinic that wasn't tied to, you know, the school nurse. It's, it was an actual clinic. They did uh, physical exams, uh, immunizations, dental therapy, all of that. We also had agencies from the community that were involved in the school, which provided counseling or mentorship to students. Um, we also had a food closet, excuse me, a, a food pantry and a clothing closet. Um, and, you know, in Syracuse, the, the, the same situation, it was a very uh, depressed area, probably one of the lowest, one of the top five lowest socioeconomic areas in the state of uh, New York. Had a lot of things working, not for it when I got there. And one of the things I had to do was figure out how we could make sure that we were being not just of service to our children, but of service to the community. What do we need to do to engage families? What do we need to provide to families? What do we need to seek funding for? So, you know, maybe we can hold classes for families or we can get them what they need. Um, you know, those kinds of things make a school part of the neighborhood. They make the school part of the community and they make the school something the parents can be proud to send their kids to. Like no one wants to send their kids to a school that, you know, the, the data says it's a fight all the time or it's depressing or they're not achieving. 
that that doesn't give parents a good feeling. Um, and that's our goal is to make sure that this school is not just about academics, which that's high, that's important, our kids can do it. But it also is about how do we support families to um, overcome barriers and trauma as well. And I love that you brought up trauma because the next place I was going, like everything I heard, I just want to go back because as you shared and I see your journey, right? You've been in a lot of different places on purpose and you're being able to, you're able to take all of those experiences to where you are right now. What you said about the whole wraparound services in the building, I absolutely love and think it is a necessary model because our kids are living with PTSD, like many other educators and teachers and administrators, like we are all living it. But to bring in that service component to have wraparound services to help them get through those, those social emotional pieces and that trauma that we know holds some of our students back is absolutely amazing. And the fact that you got service in the name of the academy, it just totally aligns to everything in that advocacy piece in STEM, that's it. That is the one, that is it. Because see, once you teach them that they have a voice and how to utilize their voice to advocate for themselves and others, wow, that is so much power. So I love the model that you're building and um, I'm, I, I'm gonna connect and continue to watch this process because I believe that it will be exactly what you have envisioned because it's your purpose. It's your purpose. And I don't think that you're going to uh, embarrass the 14th uh, past national president. I think you are going to lift up her legacy. Exactly. And, and you know, it's no better example than to be really tenacious than that, that woman. You know, she, she was a little bitty thing from what I could tell. She wasn't that, that very tall, but she was very, very powerful. And she was well-respected. Like, you know, kind of, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the E.F. Hutton situation where E.F. Hutton talked, people shut up and listen. Uh, that's kind of how uh, Miss uh, Frankie Buse Freeman was here in St. Louis, that she yeah. just was someone that once she jumped on board of a project helping it comes to fruition, she, she it was something that was going to happen. And in my, you know, humbly, uh, my goal is to make sure this is something that is going to happen because it has to happen. It has to happen for kids. And that's it. And I, and I remember her at the last Delta day she was at. And um, you're so right. She isn't, she was an active advocate. She was a doer. She was a make it happen person. And I remember she charged us at Delta days and she said, we got work to do. We got work to do. And to this day, Definitely. we still continue to say that because that's what she imparted. We got work to do. So I'm so glad that you're picking up her legacy and you're moving it. And to hear that she came, like she she grabbed your attention early on in your life, right? Like, I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And you held on to that example. That, that's, that goes to show the power of example and modeling in real life. As a little person, it you really said, does. I don't put no more. And look at you now after several different career changes in states, going right back to that space that she made home to lead and create change for our students. Amazing. Okay, I'll, we can stay here all day long. This is so inspiring, so inspiring. And I thank you for following and being obedient to your calling because I know it's a lot of work. 
I know it's a lot of work, but with yeah. that, it's a lot. I know. And from my understanding, your teaching strategy, when you were like doing the instructional piece, it revolved around educating students based on standards and high engagement performance tasks over the typical skill and drill methods. At what point in your career did you see that our standard model of education wasn't effective? And what was your immediate response to that? So um, it wasn't a point over my career because like I said, I came from social services. So I came with a very different lens. I came with the lens of why in the heck are we boring people? Number one, if I teach a project and I make that, and it, it's my job as the teacher to be on the other end and wear myself out with this plan. So the plan is so cohesive, the plan is so coherent that once I br bring it and present it in a classroom, kids can just run with it. So my thought, even before becoming a teacher, I think I had a little bit of uh, help because uh, in my church, I was, uh, I was over the puppet ministry. So we did puppets and drama. But I had to like figure out what our theme was. I had to make sure this skit, this skit, this music, this uh, costume was set up like it was supposed to be. So I think I brought that back, to, brought that to the classroom when I started teaching. It was just like, okay. They have to know this. This is the anchor standard. These are the things, these are the anchor standards I want to kind of roll together. And it takes pre-planning. I didn't do that a week before this. I was going to do the lesson. I did that. That was my summer. I didn't really do mm -hmm. summer school. I didn't teach summer school. I might have trained summer school teachers, but that was like a week. Then the rest of my summer, I was sitting there thinking, how, what does this look like? How is this? How, what standards can I pull together? Because that was my due diligence for these kids. Wow. Well, I'm not going to go. And, and this is something, and she's a Delta also. Her name is Pat Guillory. She was over the social studies department for the Di Fulton County School District um, when I began teaching. And Pat said something that has always resonated with me. If I walk into your classroom and you're reading the text and just answering questions, that's something I can hire a sub to do. Mm. If I can't tell the difference between you and a substitute teacher, then I need to rethink why I need you. Wow. That's good. That's real good. So the difference is I'm here. I'm able to manage this project over a few days, a few weeks, whatever it works out to be to build the capacity of kids. The reason why I don't skill and drill because once something endures with kids, once they have had it and they've worked it and they like, it's almost like cooking and you've manipulated it and you put it together, they're going to do well on the test. I don't have to skill and drill you if I do my part. I really don't. And I never have. And I've gotten great results. Like I'm in my office now. I don't know if you can see, but I have an excellence award from when I was a teacher. That's because my goal is always how do I engage? How do I inform? And how do I make sure these kids are able to see two to three sides of the issue, especially when I taught social studies? Yeah. And then how do I get their skill level up? How do I get reading, 
better? How do I get writing better? Because honestly, every teacher, no matter what subject, is a reading and writing teacher. If they don't improve in literacy, they don't improve in any other subject. It's just the data. Yes, 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 and yes. That's an amen. And it's so true. And I believe that it was such a pushback in education. You know, when people start saying this years ago, everybody's a reading teacher, everybody's a literacy. No, no, I'm a science, I'm a social, I'm a math, I don't do that, I'm PE. But now people are realizing that it's interdisciplinary literacy is in everything. And it's, 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 it burdens my heart a little bit because I think we're just a little bit behind with people waking up and shifting their minds to understand it. So we have this literacy crisis across this nation in our communities because people didn't see that bigger picture. So I, I, I again commend you on, you know, taking that puppetry from church and understanding that interdisciplinary piece and how it really made sense in the literacy piece. And, and I think that's part of your history and being a social studies teacher too, to understand that it's all connected, right? So like when you woke up and you started moving and planning, and another thing I don't want to leave is you said, and this is big to me because I know many educators, they, they were in those summer school spots to make them coins, right? But you said I did mm -hmm. one week of training because I did my due diligence to think through these units, these interdisciplinary units, these thematic units to be ready for the upcoming year. That is dedication. That is sacrifice. That is resilience. And I think that is setting you up for where you're going now as you build this academy to be the best that it can be in your community. Now, and when you did these, I don't know if you did interdisciplinary from the time you went from social work to the classroom, but if there was a shift after getting there, how was that received from your students, parents, colleagues? Like, how did they respond to your lens and your perspective and your philosophy of interdisciplinary units? So let me just say that I started teaching as the ELA teacher in Atlanta Public Schools. Atlanta gets a lot of flack, but the one thing they did excellently when I was there was align their scope and sequence to conceptual units for every single content area. So you had to come at the end of a unit with like a capstone project where everybody on your team was involved from math to social studies to science to ELA. Everybody had to have a part and it had to look cohesive. It actually was like a competition. You can tell kids, we're not gonna do the conservation unit. And they'll be like, be quiet. <laughs> so we can do it, so we can do the project. It was so much energy and synergy around doing those types of things where we would go to other schools. So I was at Parks Middle School, which is up the street from Price. We would go to Price and go through their hall and see how they've interpreted this uh, concept for their school for this quarter. They would come to our school to see how we've interpreted. One uh, concept was um, systems and routines or something like that. And the whole school was the chocolate factory. So the, the grounding text was char the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory play, book, and some of the vignettes from the movie. It was all something that kids were so excited about. And so PE had dance. 
They had the Oompa Loompa dance, but they get the Black history of African dance and brought that forward to Black step shows and brought that forward to a Oompa Loompa-like performance. So all of that really kind of stretched us as a community of teachers. Look, if I could get teachers that were that motivated in my when I first hit APS, that was to me the dream team of teachers. All of us before, uh, you know, someone came in that was not the greatest asset, but all of us worked together to say, how do we make this come alive for kids? Then I come over to Fulton County. They don't have the concept-based units, but as department chair, now I get to work with the district and work with uh, Pat and say, okay, this is what we are stringing forward. And so it became more of, for me with kids in history, I started with bias. My first lesson was, hey, let's look at our textbook. Who wrote it? What do they look like? How mm-hmm. complete of a story about us do you think you're going to get if these are the people that wrote the book? That's- no shade, but inherent bias is real. That is. So I told kids, you know, kids understood that anything that we were about to accomplish we had to find the other story to it. We mm. couldn't just take what the what the popular narrative was. We had to find the other story. And I had to be diligent about connecting what was happening currently with what we were about to in, encounter with history. Mm-hmm. So for instance, at one point, Georgia was trying to keep the Confederate flag alive and putting it symbolically inside the new state flag design. So let's go back to the Civil War. And when they lost, what was the deal? What was the agreement that they made about this flag that means, and it means what? So kids could argue, kids could go back and forth. And they did. One had to take this side. You have to be the North. You have to be the South. How, we, how do we come up with what should be happening now? And what's our argument for and against it? We have to know both sides in order to be able to say that we talk critically. So I think uh, just as far as the classroom was concerned, it was more about not just doing like a cutesy project where we were just coloring something or painting something, but how can this be impactful? And then how am I teaching them a skill that exceeds beyond the curriculum? Am I teaching them about advocacy? Am I teaching them about debate? Am I teaching them about how to have a respectful discourse? What am I, what's the soft skill that comes along with whatever task I'm about to teach them to do? Yeah, that's so good. And you said this, this really resonated with me when you were talking through the process and find the other story. Like that is powerful. Like we say shift the narrative all the time, you know, that's a common one, but I I haven't heard find the other story. And I think that's another way to get students, adults or anybody to shift their minds really quickly, right? Find the other story, which means this is what you're hearing, but what's, what's the other story? I love that. I love that, Vanessa. I really, really like that. Um, and what else did you say? You said so much. <laughs> I love the Willy Wonka interdisciplinary <laughs> unit. That is really neat. I don't know if y'all wrote that up somewhere, but I think people should like have access to that. Listen, somebody like at least once a year, somebody, a former teacher, a former friend will say, hey, remember that mock trial you did, which was a whole like 
six-week unit after testing, because I don't do chaos after testing. So yeah, you have as big a project after testing as you had before. So, you know, my kids were always like super busy, but people asked me for the template and I was like, nah, I think I need to publish it, but I still have it. But it, it's, it was a project that like, it took me so long to plan. It's, I'm gonna be honest with you. It took me so long to plan and build resources and what I had to do because it was a culminating project at the end of the year is I had to even know at the beginning of the year, hey, I want them to be able to, able to write a resume at the end of the year. What are I, where do I integrate this skill? So then they wrote resumes for the explorers. Hey, I want them to be able to um, build evidence or be able to plot out a story. So then we might introduce a storyboard to explain what happened to the um, Mississippian Indian tribe because they just disappeared. So it was intentional that everything that they were going to have to do to be successful with this huge project had to be planned out through the year. So this wouldn't be brand new to them at the end of the year. We've already had uh, some competency with building this, doing this graphic organizer, doing this debate, doing, you know, writing this type of argument, writing this type of uh, narrative. And it, it was easy. It was easy at the end of the year to the point uh, they had a lot of people kind of going around our building one day, popping into classrooms and the kids were working on their mock trial. And it was, you know, the group that was doing, the, uh, they were the prosecuting team uh, because Georgia has what are called the seven deadly sins for our kids. They have to learn in eighth grade. Uh, what will get you tried as an adult in Georgia? That's something that is required to be taught. And so that's how we, use, that's how we uh, you know, gave out uh, charges and all of that. But the grounded text was the three little pigs. So we had a prosecuting attorney team and I'm sitting up here trying to look useful. So I go over to the team and they were basically like, Ms. Hopkins, go sit down and do something else because we got this. We already know what we're supposed to do. We can do this without you. you already, you've already given us what we need. Go sit down. It was actually Quest who was a sweet baby. He was like, hey, no, no shade, but we already know what we're doing. You already gave us everything. So all we have to do is work it. That's what you want. That's what you want kids to be like, I don't really need you right now. You want them to own it. Understand it, own it, implement right. it, execute. So that's awesome. I love that. I love that mock trial idea too. Now you you shared a lot about um, you know, your approach to educating students and managing teacher relationships. When you assess how schools are run, especially as you're building, what about the empathetic human element is missing in our fight to provide equity in education for all students? Um, I think the biggest thing when I took over the school in Syracuse, it was it's 99% white. The teachers are white. The kids are black and brown. And it was a lot of bad press. Parents didn't feel like the teachers cared. Kids didn't feel like the teachers cared. Teachers felt like they were doing a lot. And so when we began talking about uh, anti-racist um, ideas, we began talking about how do you build relationship with kids? How do you build relationship with families? One of the things I had to make clear was how you feel like you express caring may not be how they receive care. 
So you may be saying, hey, I'm doing all of this. You should know I care. And they're saying, that's not how I feel care. That's not how I feel cared for. That's not how I feel appreciated. That's not how I feel thought well of. And it's a cultural difference. So it really doesn't matter if you feel like you've done enough and they should know you care. It matters that you have a conversation and say, how, how do you want me to show you care? Even with the kids, what are you needing that I'm not giving to you? Mm-hmm. What is this community needing that I'm not giving to you? For instance, one of the things it there was people weren't making phone calls. I would get, oh, the phone doesn't work. Funny when I call, they work. Parents would thank me. Miss Hopkins, you are the only person. I have had three kids. You call me all the time. Because <laughs> I do. And I'm going to keep on calling you because this is your child. You know them better than I will ever know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And I, how I, dare I leave you out the process? That's equity. That I care enough about you or I think enough of you as a human being to give you just the common courtesy courtesy of saying, how is this impacting you? Yeah, that's really good. And I heard um, a lot that was resonating when you were talking about that and um, how that human element is in there. So excellent points brought out. And again, find the other story. You know, they're, they're, they're seeing the children and they're making their assumptions and they got to find that other story. So that was really good about that yes. there um, and, and bringing in those parents. I totally agree with that. So you have shared so much and I, I clearly see your path. I clearly see your purpose. Um, I, I want to know lastly, like when you look at the work that we're doing with DTEC TAG, um, how is that aligned with your efforts to promote equity in education? So uh, for me, it, it, I can't say enough that it is my sincere belief that 80 to 90% of our teachers wake up every day wanting to do their level best for the babies that are before them. They just do. I don't care what nationally people say about teachers or schools or whatever. These people are waking up every day saying, I want to do my best for children. As an administrator, I don't like this. The buck stops with me. So if my teachers don't feel cared for, if my teachers don't feel as if they have a voice in processes, if my teachers don't feel as if they have any opportunities to do something outside of the classroom, then I have to begin to look and see what I need to set up at the school mm-hmm. because I'm going with the assumption that, and I tell teachers, I'm going with the assumption that you wake up every day to do the best for kids. And sometimes we don't know the right way to do or sometimes we do, we don't have the right resources. And that's my job as an administrator is to figure out how do I help you become more successful as a teacher? I always say I never, uh, I hardly ever, I don't say never because I've had some extreme situations, but I hardly ever will fire anybody in the first year mm-hmm. because you're just coming on board. It's deers in a headlight kind of situations. Everybody's talking in acronyms you don't know. 
You don't know if you, it's a safe place for you to stay. I don't know what the acronym is. I don't know what that means. And really get an answer and not judgment. So in that re regard, I, I really feel like, like um, to build up teachers capacity, number one, is very important. And number two, the most important thing, though, is to build up their confidence that they are in the right place and they're serving their purpose. Yes. And once yes. they know that, then it becomes not about someone didn't speak to me, someone didn't give me this. It becomes more about, hey, I didn't understand what you were talking about. Can you explain this to me? Because I want to do the best for my kids. I want to do the best for the kids that are sitting in front of me and need me to do my best every day. Yeah. And yeah. I think when they come with that lens that they are, number one, they're co-leaders. And number two, there is a way to manage up. Yes. Every administrator, every coach is not perfect. And for you to get what you need from those people, there's a way for you to be savvy and to manage up. Yeah, I, I love what you said. And that totally aligns to what DTEC Tag does. The word, you know, all of our work is built off of efficacy. And that building up, that confidence, creating that community to really dig into self is everything we believe. You know, the education is a heart matter. That's what we know to be true. So yes, all the work that you're doing totally aligns to building up and bringing confidence to the teachers, but not just the teachers, the parents, the students, the community, yes. and the legacy, of course, of Frankie Muse Freeman. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your heart, sharing your journey, sharing your, your wins, sharing some of your learnings, sharing some of your falling forwards, right? And just to hear how many places you've moved and lived in and did and, and caused <laughs> some impact in that community to where you are now. I, I'm looking forward to following your story. Um, so yeah, we really appreciate you. Since we've kicked off this podcast last year, y'all, we, we celebrated the year like last November, I believe it was. We've touched on advocacy and action and teacher efficacy through educational endeavors and literacy acquisition. There's that literacy piece because we believe what you believe as well. Literacy is everybody's issue. Special education and mentorship, to name a few. For more discussions like this one that you just heard today with Miss Vanessa and everything that she's doing to help us lead this change in her state, you can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. While you're listening, leave us some feedback on our social channels, DTEC, at DTEC Change Agent on Twitter, at DTEC underscore change underscore agent on Instagram, and at DTEC Change Agent on Facebook. Vanessa, can you share how our educators can access your resources and stay connected to you? Certainly. Uh, we are building the website. Um, as I uh, talked to Dr. Craig before we started, it, the website should be available um, at, the, at the 1st of February. But before that, we have an email and I have an email that I'm always checking. So my first name, which is Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A, and my first initial, which is H, at Muse, M-U-S-E, Steam, Service Academy.org. 
Um, you can email me anytime. Um, and once you email me, I can put you on whatever list for the school. So we can send out, you can be part of the uh, newsletter. You can be a part of the unfolding of the charter process and everything that's going on here in Missouri. So yeah, the best way is to give me your information or send me an email and then I'll put you into all the social media sites so you can start to keep up with what's happening at Muse Academy. Okay, so I want to repeat that. I think I got V-A-N-E-S-S-A-H, Vanessa H at mm -hmm. MuseServiceAcademy.com. Say it again for the listeners. I don't want y'all confused because I want you to be able to reach out and connect. It is Vanessa H at Muse, M-U-S-E, Steam, S-T-E-A-M, ServiceAcademy.com. Vanessa H at .org. I'm sorry. Okay. It should so, be .org. All right. So to get in touch with Vanessa, it is Vanessa H at Muse Steam Service Academy .org. So that's how you can connect with her in email. And then you can connect on the different social media sites and get signed up for the newsletter and get the school site when it's up and running and, and sort of follow the story, support the school, support and, you know, spread it out in the community, especially if you're local. So we say thank you again, Vanessa. Thank you to all of our listeners. We are so excited you're on this journey with us. And until the next episode, y'all be blessed and continue to lead change.